Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Startup Diaries brought to you by Bern Sheehan, a technology recruitment business servicing scale-ups and startups throughout the UK. In today's episode, we have Hayley Roberts, the CEO and founder of Distology. Uh, in this episode, Hayley talks us through actually the journey she went through acquiring a business for Distology in Germany, Squareball Digital, and the, how that went through. We then dive in quite deep into how the tech world needs to address the lack of talent that has been coming through the ranks, not just with regards to uh, diversity, but how we can bring non-tech people into the fold and help take the pain of the industry away. We then do dive into some of the aspects of neurodiversity, gender diversity, and how this will help impact that. And then we also, following that, we dive into the business's challenges that she's seen throughout her career being in four different industries. It's a really great episode. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Hayley. Welcome to you. Welcome to your podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, Thanks for joining us. Do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself and the story behind Distology? Oh, that's a a long one. It's a rather open question. So... um, I am uh, probably about seven and a half years into the, the journey at Distology, founded seven and a half years ago, um, not from a technical background. So I graduated in business many moons ago, and this is my fourth industry. So, uh, But worked in tech loosely as a headhunter, actually, probably about 15, 16 years ago. Um, All the best people so, do. Yeah, <laughs> See, and, um, and you get a really good uh, understanding of what people are like and how annoying they are. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and of course, this is all about people, not necessarily technology. So, so yes, yeah, so we are a, um, a cybersecurity distributor. Um, it means that we do an awful lot of work on looking at new technology coming into the UK marketplace predominantly or coming across to Europe mm. from the likes of the States, uh, Israel, uh, and also across Europe as well as European startups, um, and trying to get uh, a really good, solid go-to-market proposition and help them sell through what we call channel, mm. which is a reseller network of people. So that's where we sit as a distributor, um, and we are learning and growing as we grow. Perfect. I think one of the things that when we started putting this podcast together, the news had just leaked or come out about your acquisition. I would say recent acquisition because it was a few months ago when we started putting this together. Yeah. Acquisition of Squareball Digital. Um, so congratulations on that, firstly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's the first time I can actually ask this on the podcast, but how was, can we, well, can you talk us through the process of acquiring another company? You know, it'd be great to sort of sure, understand yeah, your yeah. experience. Um, Well, I'd only ever experienced acquisition being on the other end of it, actually, when I was working for a large business. It wasn't my business. Um, And it wasn't the best um, on the basis that a large company was buying a fairly small, agile company. And all of a sudden you were chief cook and bottle washer of your given department. And very quickly overnight that was stripped away. Mm -hmm. And I was really conscious of that. So when I was looking to grow, and there's two ways that you can grow obviously a business, you can grow it organically and you can put people in different regions of which we did in the Netherlands, which has worked out really well now, (laughs) but took quite a good two years to get to the right person and growth uh, business plan. Um, And with Germany, it was a bit different. It's a larger market, uh, certainly than the Netherlands or the Benelux region. And I wanted to get it right. Um, But again, I was quite um, concerned about culture and fit um, because we're building something quite unique here in the UK. So um, so realistically, I wanted to acquire, but I wanted to acquire a business that was just like us. <laughs> Impossible task. Yeah. Um, and of course, like anything I do when growing Distology, it's born out of madness, <laughs> drive, and a massive amount of ignorance. Um, but why the hell not, right? Because you, um, 
I'd rather live with regrets, uh, not live with regrets, rather, I'd la- rather uh, live with apologies. So, um, so essentially, I sort of looked at and asked a few of our, um, our technology vendors, you know, who would be the right people. And eventually, we came up with a shortlist, and Squareball was on that shortlist. Um, and one of the ideas was, rather than buying a, a commercially present organisation or commercially ready organisation in Germany, the biggest issue that we often find, um, certainly across all uh, businesses in tech is to get the technical skill set right, uh, especially given that we are very much operating within the identity space and the cybersecurity space. So um, we found Squareville on the basis that they have excellent um, talent and skill sets within the uh, technical professional services and product development. Uh, within identity mm-hmm. uh, and also they were a bunch of really lovely people which really did help right yeah. so so we thought and, and my initial thought was that we could always roll in and start to uh, hire and develop commercial people mm-hmm. um, once we've got that solid base of, of technical skill set and that's really where Squareball were, were super um, ahead of all of the, their peers on that list um, of acquisition potential um, and really, it was then just a case of talking to Martin Roberts, who had the right last name as well, course, which yeah. is marvellous. Not a prerequisite, <laughs> <laughs> but it worked really well. Um, and, uh, and and just understanding what the nature of, of, of his business is and was and where he was going. You know, what was his journey looking like and what did he want to achieve? And we had so many similarities just in terms of our ambition and um, growth strategy and also just desire to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that was culturally where I think the first penny dropped of, I really want to work with this person. And, and everything else became, you know, academic, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, it was about the people and the assimilation of the people he had and brought on board and people we had here. So, so that's so, and fast forward all of those lovely conversations and the due diligence and all that kind of good stuff um, and essential stuff you have to do when you acquire a business. Um, that was it, and and uh, and, we, and it, we haven't looked back. It's been the best thing, mm. albeit frustrating because it takes a long time. You have additional legislation in Germany that you have to not be laundering money, etc., which mm. I'm sure is you know prerequisite for most, but yeah. so, <laughs> slightly more um, slightly more uh, harsher on the due deal. But um, but no, it was a good process mm. and um, I managed to streamline it to probably around. A a sort of six-month period, so yeah. not too bad. It's quite, it must be quite stressful going through that due diligence in particular. I mean, it's not you being looked upon, I guess. It's you're looking into them, right? Yes, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of that because, mm. you know, Martin had grown a team of, of eight people, and um, so they're not a huge business. But at the same time, they were very loyal to his vision and mission. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like anything, you, you want to keep people happy. And, and certainly it wasn't about us sort of saying, well, Martin's got the idea, we're gonna buy him. And if it's, he's all right with it, then that's great. We're actually buying what he's created. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and what he created was all about the people mm-hmm. and their vision and, and, and um, purpose. So it was super important for us to make sure that they bought into where we were going as a business and for them to feel included, included in our um, in our long-term strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was some due diligence there, their way, but not formal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the financial due diligence was, was um, took a while. I mean, our, our, it wasn't stressful for me, actually. In fact, I feel like I'm, you know, I've got away with murder, actually. But, um, <laughs> but it was for our, our finance mm-hmm. team. And, um, you know, and, and to try and get all the numbers to look right and to forecast and to, uh, you know, put this new budget in place was um, it's often a bit of a tricky exercise but it was no it was it was good so that was quite stressful and for me it was about making sure that everyone was feeling good about it and obviously promoting internally here what we were doing without it going out to anywhere outside these walls and obviously trying to keep those guys in 
excited yeah. as well. So what, what's been sort of any of the challenges around that, I guess, you know, managing now uh, an acquisition in another country? Yeah. And what have been the learnings of how that works, communication or, you know, sort of the dynamics between two offices? Yeah, I think I would, I would say over communication is right. more important than anything else. Um, and I don't mean about sharing data or, you know, the basics of communication that has to be done. I would say talk about how you feel about, about it because, you know, an acquisition can sound quite aggressive. Um, and it could have been quite aggressive, you know, it could have been, right, we're just going to do this and that's it, done. You know, forget what you were doing, here's what you're now doing, that's it. Um, and really, I think, you know, you've got to make sure that you're talking to all the right people. You are asking questions much more than you're giving answers because mm -hmm. often you don't have the answer. I mean, that's the biggest thing that most people will think because you're leading and growing a company that you've got all the answers. Well, what a load of rubbish that is because your answers will come from often external and massively internally. So you've got to make sure that you do talk to your team internally and, mm -hmm. and, and understand is this pitching right? You know, is this messaging going to be okay? And how would we create this conjoined strategy? So over communication is super important. Yeah, I think I've learned that from even just working from a separate office within the UK. Yeah. Like sometimes you feel uh, as the, we're the sort of second office, so not second thought, but stick decisions will be made in London. And it's like yeah. the over, early days, it was like communication wasn't as good as it is now. In fact, COVID's really, enabled the communication to get way way better yeah. but yeah you sat there like who's made that decision where's that come yeah. from why wasn't aware of it and yeah, yeah so over communication would be massive um for, for one of the things that you said really early on is you, you make it clear you're not you're not a techie no so how's that how's that worked for you do you think that's helped actually coming in with a different perspective uh, what's your kind of thoughts on how that's helped your career um, in tech perspective is a good one actually mm. because yeah i can't turn my computer on most mornings <laughs> I, that's how absolutely rubbish i am with technology <laughs> uh literally talk to my children more about no please turn this on i couldn't right. even get my wi-fi sorted uh really bad admission but there we are uh, transparent as always um so um i think it's really good i think any perspective um, that comes from outside of your comfort zone is really helpful. Mm -hmm. What you take from it is up to you. Um, so I think that, you know, and, and when I was doing um, headhunting actually, that taught me to have a far more open mind as to what skill sets, core competencies people have. And I know people are incredibly unique and, and different and have many, many different layers. But um, I do think that. Um, not having a pure technical background gives you a wider opportunity to look outside of the obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and it's in any industry, this would be the same, by the way. It's not just I'm not techie. You don't have to understand the cogs and wheels of how a phone works to be able to use it, right? Mm -hmm. So therefore, why would you then have to know the cogs and wheels and the admin side of how a piece of technology works to understand how it, uh, applicable it is to business problems today? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference, right? So all I'm looking at is what business problems are people facing? How can we make the solutions easier? You know, how can we bring solutions to the table that will solve those problems? And also, um, you know, where is it going? Trying to look at the future. I mean, no one can predict the future, but we are all fast consumers of technology that makes our lives easier. So if that makes our lives easier, especially things that you should think about but you don't like security technology, which is often an afterthought, then you know these are the things that get me excited. Now, I'm not a techie, I don't, I, I'm not a technologist even, I don't have the latest, greatest things from a technology point of view, but I understand that we are going to be more and more reliant on that for the future and I think that's where my insight comes from. Mm -hmm. Do remember, 
again, this isn't just about me, my vision. It's about bringing the right skill set in mm -hmm. to be able to help create that that mm. future and that vision. So what, what sort of skill set do you look for then in a person to really help think, right, you could really work for us in, in dystology or otherwise? Yeah. What sort of underlying, is it values or sort of how they approach you know, their life or their day or what, what core competencies yeah. is that? Um, I would say it's real basic stuff, right. right? I think honesty, transparency, a good drive for, for life, generally. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that they want to have a career that's going to be forged in technology. That's, that's not necessarily important. Mm -hmm. I think people who want to make a difference, who are genuine, authentic, mm -hmm. honest people with a great attitude to learn, yeah. um, that's it. Easy. That's it. Yeah. And you'd say that's easy, right? You say that's easy. It's absolutely the hardest thing in the world. And you know this. Yeah. You absolutely know this. Yeah. Because what you look what we look at, and this is this is where we fall flat a little bit because we want things to be easy as human beings. We look at what we know. And mm -hmm. what we know will be certifications, qualifications, education, right? So we look at what we know and we go, ah, that's it, they're gonna be perfect. And then when that person comes into the room, they're not perfect and it's such a shame i remember thinking that when i was you know it, it, on, on your side of the table thinking oh that's such a shame because everything on that cv was brilliant and when i spoke to them they were either just the not right character or they didn't have the right drive or and so it's super important that we we look at the rounded picture because mm -hmm. you can always learn something we can always get a qualification mm -hmm. what we can't do is adjust attitude yeah. and that's often inherent yeah I think one of these interesting things people won't know, we actually met at an event and at that event, we, you, you were speaking quite passionately, you were asking me questions about diversity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Be my bonnet, clearly. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, no, I'm joking. But they, they, you asked something actually more around um, neurodiversity. Mm. And I, I was quite honest. I was, I'm not as confident to answer questions in that area. I, yeah. the, where we do a lot of our work and I'm, I'm probably a little bit better in is looking at the kind of diversity when it comes to maybe gender side of things. Yeah. Do you think that hiring this way will really open up the doors to all aspects of, of diversity within tech businesses and really help on that side of things? Uh, I'd love to think it would. Mm. I think we've got a problem with ourselves where I'd love to foster non-judgmental cultures. Um, the reality is we are always judgmental or trying to work people out because it's a fight or flight trigger mm -hmm. so to be non-judgmental simply means that we're going to eradicate something that's really hardwired as a human being as a survival for a human being so that's going to be almost nigh impossible but i think we can limit that judgmental culture mm -hmm. in an organization by fostering and developing authenticity um, and again that's going to require some level of of, mm. of work yeah. i think um i think new, the neurodiverse conversation um, I'm also incredibly ignorant, by the way, but I'm shocked at statistics that get bandied around by how m massive percentages of, of people who've been diagnosed with a neurodiverse, um, as neurodiverse, sorry, um, are out of work. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, okay, great, we've got somebody who's autistic or somebody who's dyslexic or somebody who might have Tourette's. How you do, do you then manage their career journey? Not just you hire them, well done, badged, badged yeah, yeah. kind of gained. How do we develop these people? Mm. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. And so that requires more people in the organization who are sensitive to that. But the skill sets these people will bring mm -hmm. are huge. Yeah. But we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. How do you think the industry is doing as a whole uh, when it comes to just diversity, not just neuro? But oh, I, I think the awareness is there. Mm -hmm. I think it's the action that is 
um, that is pretty woeful. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think people will, we will always um, bend to what's easy because of pressures from either external pressures, macro pressures, or financial pressures from Mm -hmm. larger organizations that perhaps own us or the markets. Mm -hmm. So we we will find it incredibly difficult to to do the right thing. To say the right thing is very easy. Mm -hmm. To do the right thing is is the real hard journey. Mm -hmm. And I talk to quite a few of my peers about this, that you can get people in a room to talk about these things, but when it comes to action, there's a very small percentage that will do something about it. Yeah. But if it's a small percentage, it's still yeah. a percentage. Yeah, yeah, true. I think one of the things in, in, in tech in general is there is a you know a, there's still a high demand for people to be hired right now. I know we can read the news and you'll hear about Twitter just getting rid of everyone and uh, redundancies at Meta as well. But there's still quite a significant demand for hiring, and there's yeah. still a a gap between, and we'll come back to it again when the next, after we get through this little recession piece, and we'll, we'll there'll be this yeah. high growth period, and then there'll be a huge you know, war for talent once again. A phrase yeah. that I know you don't like, but like there'll be that demand to to compete against and get the best talent to to into each business. This is one area I think that could be tackled and looked yeah. at to help that. But is there other ways that you think businesses could help address that supply and demand piece when it comes to? getting good tech or people. people into the business. I, I think I think let's re- try and reduce the the elitist view or the or the complicated view that something that is either technical or or slightly more the perception that's difficult to get into. We've got to try and open that up a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and start um, start showcasing how easy it is potentially to get into it or how what success stories look like mm. role models that kind of thing and again the, there is no one silver bullet for these types of scenarios it's going to be small incremental changes that make the difference and the, mm. the first incremental change you can do is make a difference in yourself and your attitude yeah. to these sorts of things whether you are an employer or an employee or an owner or founder whatever mm-hmm. everybody needs to start thinking slightly differently and when we start to think slightly differently we act slightly differently yeah I guess one of the things as well you spoke about was developing those different sets of talent. Is there any sort of advice that you give to anyone listening who's hiring? It doesn't necessarily need to be diverse talent, neurodiverse talent, but how you help bring people along at Distology to give them that career and that belonging and to see a future to, you know, okay, I guess it plays a big part into retention, right? So how do you mm. keep your people? How do you develop them? Is there any advice that you could give around that at all? Um, I mean, the only thing I would say is listen. People love to be heard. And by the way, I'm not perfect at this as a person, mm-hmm. and I'm sure most people will say we're too quick to give answers than to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I learned recently, actually, I was on a course, um, was that most people just want to be heard. And, and even if you sit you, with your hands on your mouth, <laughs> just allow them to talk, because mm-hmm. sometimes just that offloading and being able to go down a rabbit hole of thought process and get it out there doesn't need doesn't mean you need to have a, a, a response or, or a solution come back mm-hmm. just to be heard and I think that's one of the things we certainly foster and there's certainly our, our head of people uh, Chloe is fantastic at that uh, at fostering that mm-hmm. um, so we are doing better but I think the advice would be don't be afraid to sit and listen without actually having to do anything mm-hmm. and it sounds easy it's bloody difficult <laughs> yeah, perfect the last last two questions we'll ask are oh, always the same but the first one is biggest challenge in your career what to date would it be obviously you've worked in recruitment and headhunting so other than that uh, well, you've obviously worked in multiple industries but what's the biggest challenge you think you've overcome in your career 
Um, I think there's two things. The first challenge is the obvious one, picking up the phone for the first time when you get into a sales role and having to slam that phone every day. Oh my God, that's the worst thing in the world. It always feels like the worst thing in the world, and, um, but it, put, it still puts a smile on my face because I'm really glad I pushed that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And the second challenge is my own personal challenge of putting barriers in place where there really shouldn't be, mm-hmm. thinking I couldn't do stuff mm-hmm. because in my head I'd answered the question before I'd even asked it. Um, and that's the biggest challenge that I've had. So it wasn't necessarily about anybody stopping me, mm-hmm. and I belligerently got on with it. Um, I do. I'm a rebel. I am belligerent. I've been called that several times <laughs> recently, actually. It's funny enough. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, but I think it's in my own head that I put blockers in, or have done, and put challenges where there were none. Yeah. And sometimes the simplest thing in the world is to remove that and just get on and make that step. Yeah. Okay. You're first founder to call yourself belligerent and ignorant in the same uh, there <laughs> podcast. There you so. go. Belligerent, ignorant. I'm all of the negatives that you'd expect. But hey, you know, look at the stats. It's doing all right. Um, and the final question is, what sort of advice would you give to someone who's either joining a startup or looking at doing their own startup? Is there anything that comes to mind? Just do it. If you, you know, don't think that everything has to fall into place before you actually take the first step. Just do it. If you've got that belief and you've checked all of the main boxes and you know you can afford to take the risk, take the risk. You will never regret it. Even if it doesn't work out, you will never regret it. Because I'll tell you what happens, you learn. And learning is so important. Perfect. Thanks, Diana. Appreciate you joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Yes, absolutely. Thanks.